Listen, one of the things that I think is really important for us is we have talked this morning a lot about um, God answering our prayer and uh, in asking God to weaken that storm or move that storm or do something uh, to intervene and help us. And uh, what, what we know from Scripture, what we know from what God has told us, is that He answers prayer. And let me just be real with you. Theologically, I don't understand that. Right? Because what, what we also know, a competing truth with that, is that God is sovereign. That God's providence is real. And that nothing happens outside of his control. And we struggle with that. The struggle is very real in that. Because here, here's what runs through my mind. Thank you, God, for answering that prayer this weekend. But why did you answer that prayer in Barbuda? Okay, so suddenly that, that becomes like, yeah, oh, <laughs> ouch. Okay, and so, but here's what I want to talk about today. I want to preach a message to you titled, Trust the Process. Trust the Process. Okay, and what I want to talk to you about is faith. I want to talk to you about trust. And uh, there's a reason, though, that I'm titling this, Trust the Process. Okay, because those are my words. All right, those aren't words from Scripture. Those are my words, because as I read through the passage that we're going to read today, what is... Really difficult for me is to trust the process because there's some very specific things that God tells us to do regardless of the circumstance that we find ourselves in. Every single time. Okay, let me let me jump into the middle of the text we're going to read, okay? And uh, here here's what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. All right, I'm not going to give you the context yet. We're going to do that in a minute. But, but listen to what Scripture says here. It says, rejoice how much? Always. How are you doing on that? How are you doing on that? How are you doing on that? Always. <laughs> Rejoice always. Listen, look at verse 17. Pray how often? Come on, lift up your voice and tell me. How often? Constantly. How are we doing? Verse 18. Give thanks in everything. All right, just those three verses right there. Pray constantly, rejoice always, and in everything, give thanks. I mean, we could just we could just close her down right now, and we'd have our we'd have plenty to do this week. True. Okay, but as I was celebrating that obvious answer to prayer, or at least what seemed obvious to me. These verses just kept coming back to my mind. And so what I want to do today is just walk you through my thought process last week. Fair enough. As, as I was watching the news, as I was reading my Bible, as I was fleeing Irma and uh, taking my children with, um, 
and then getting up where we stayed and wondering if I should leave my family there and come back and and just all of the turmoil that that you go through in a storm like that and just the phone calls that some of you were making and uh, getting online and leading some prayer times and uh, having those of you still here join us and just like the range of emotions was wild and it just kept driving me back to this constant thought that we have to trust God in the process. Because here's what we get backwards sometimes. We get our circumstances and our prayers backwards. And we're going to unpack that a little bit, but as, as we dive into it, we are regardless, and this has to be on, on our mind as we dig into this text, that regardless of where you find yourself, we're told to do three things, rejoice, pray, and give thanks. And the answer is why. The answer we're given is because it's God's will. It's God's will. Whether you get it or whether I get it, we can trust it. We can trust it. And so as you back out into the context of this scripture, what, what's happening is the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he's writing to these people. Yeah, if you want notes, I've got a nice little outline for you. we got them back there. Uh, there's binders over there. You can grab one. It's also on the Version Bible app if you want to pull that up and uh, do it that way. But... Um, What's happening is Paul's writing to this church, and at the end of all of what he has said in the book, he gives these final little exhortations at the end. And your Bible will have some headings that say final instructions or last exhortations or something to that effect. And uh, a lot of times those headings aren't helpful, but this time it is. All right, This is just at the end of the book, and Paul's giving them some like general things. So here's what that means for you and I. There's no theological out for us. There's no like, well, he only meant give thanks in everything in this particular instance. No, there, there's no context outside of give thanks in everything. Pray constantly. Rejoice always. Like the context of that is what? Say it with me. Always. <laughs> okay. And so, but in that... We're given some things that change our perspective, and I want to give you three of those things that um, God has been teaching me this week, that in the insight of the context of these final instructions, Paul really teaches us, the Holy Spirit is going to teach us how to get your hands dirty in that. Because this is a passage of scripture that we professional Christians, those of us who have been Christians for a long time, we're really good at quoting, we're really good at talking about it, we're really good at putting it on a coffee mug, we're really good at putting it on a mouse pad. Do we do those anymore? I don't even know. But um, we do. Jake does. <laughs> but it's one of those verses that becomes so familiar that we lose its power, that we lose the effect of what these verses lived out would do in your life. What would change in your life if those three things happened always like the scripture tells you to? Now, that sound all sounded really negative. But I want you to know I'm here to encourage you today. 
Okay, so let's let's dive in. Let me read the context to you. Um, you know, before we do that, uh, another verse that comes to mind is Philippians one six. When you consider trusting the process, uh, think think about this verse with me. Philippians one six. The Bible says that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of redemption. Okay, so if God has started it and God will finish it, what is your role in the process? Trust. Trust. Because you can at any moment know that God's in control. At every moment. But, but let's, let's dive into that a little bit. So verse 14, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 14, says, And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for any evil to anyone. But always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this verse. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Number one for the note takers, the more spiritual among us, the heavenly minded ones. You know you're going to get to go in heaven first if you have a good binder full of notes. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I don't know. I don't agree. Here's number one. If you're keeping notes, there's a couple blanks there. It says, we have to love people before we fix people. That's going to rub some of you the wrong way. I know it is. It rubs me the wrong way. To trust the process is to do what God has told you to do, not what feels natural to do. See, because what happens in your life, and I know it happens in your life because it happens in my life, and we were all created by the same God, and we all have fallen in the same way as sinners. Here's what I know happens. The longer you are walking with Christ and the more familiar you become with his word, if you're not intentional about really walking in the spirit all the time, and that's really hard in the United States of America. We have a lot of things competing for our attention. We have a lot more resources than a lot of people. And we hold on to certain stuff with with iron grip and it becomes an idol. And so that's where we live. But what does it mean to love people before we fix people? I want you to look, look back here at the beginning of this. Paul says to warn the idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see to it that no one repays evil for evil, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. What is natural for you and I? You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You touch my kids, I'm going to mess you up. You tell me I'm doing something wrong, I'm going to show you why I'm doing it right. 
And, and it's just like, you know, you cut me off in traffic. Oh, Lord, help you. All right. I'm just kidding. Sort of. Um, what's natural for us? Evil for evil. Evil for evil. <laughs> like, that's why it could be at the end of the book and just be a general exhortation. Because you and I struggle to trust the process. It is so easy to repay evil for evil. If you will get honest with yourself and let yourself think about that and filter into your mind, you can just think about this past week. I mean, did you see on the news that a hurricane is here and people are lined up for miles in traffic? People are getting out of their cars, beating on people's windows. I think, was it Ben? Was it Pastor Ben and you guys traveling north? Somebody gets out of their car and starts banging on Ben's car's hood. And it's just like, what is wrong with us? Natural disaster. People fleeing. And we can get offended by getting cut off in line. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. It's so easy to repay evil for evil. Why do I say trust the process? Because God gives us a process here. He says, trust, he says to trust him in how you treat people. To love them before you fix them. Look at this. It, it does say to warn the idol. Comfort to discourage. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. What, what is all of that? All of that is encouragement. Not one of those things is, here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what you need to do better. Because it's, it's also written to a church. So even in the negative side where it says warn the idol, it's to encourage them to get back in step with the spirit. And then he throws this in there in case you're still struggling with that. He says, pursue what is good always for one another. And in case you wanted to stop inside the church, what does he tag on the end? And all. We have got to figure out how to love people before we fix people. There's something about a natural disaster, though, that even, even in those pockets of unrest brings people together. Last week, we weren't talking about racism. Last week, we weren't talking about politics. Hallelujah. We weren't talking about any of those things. When natural disaster comes in, it makes you realize what's important. What do we see people doing? A lot of people... We're helping people. What did we see this past week? People helping people. What did we see in Houston? People helping people. We saw, you know, there was an article that came out, I think it was in the Washington Post or something, that uh, the churches across America are about almost double, I don't know what it is now, but almost double the aid that FEMA is providing. What, what, what does disaster do? It causes us to reprioritize what is most important. And what is most important to Jesus Christ? People. People. Loving people. Even Jesus, the only one who had the right to come and judge people, said he wasn't coming to judge people. John chapter 3, verse 16, you know, but do you know 17? I did not come into the world to condemn the world, so the world through me might be saved. Okay, so, so who are we to get off <laughs> on fixing people? We can't fix people. Can, can I just be honest with you? You and I can't fix me. You and I can't fix you. 
apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus on earth prayed and asked the Father to give him the power of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit to love people, don't you think that you and I need the power of the Holy Spirit to love people? We have got to figure out, church, how to love people before we fix people. So we're told to do these things. But then that statement that says pursue good for all people, I really want you to think about that today. I want you to think about that. I want to make that really personal to you. Have you pursued good for the Muslim community around you? Have you pursued good for the LGBT community around you? I didn't say you should say what they're doing is right. Jesus didn't do that. But here's what Jesus did do is he pursued good for those people. He went to the woman at the well in Samaria, which was just it was scandalous that he was even there. And he offered her living water before he ever told her anything to do different. And we could just we could just go on and on through the scripture. It's there if you're willing to look at it. Let's bring it in here. Are you are you pursuing good for the backsliders, for the hypocrites, for the people who are living in sin, as we like to call it? What changes people? Jesus said it best in Luke chapter 4. He said, I have come to proclaim good news to the poor, good news to the weak, good news to the broken, good news to the captive, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus seemed to think that sharing good news was the best way to change people. Why? Because the only thing in the world that goes out and doesn't return void is the word of God. So we've got to be a church that goes fighting into the future for the potential of people made in the image of God, not for their problems. Does that make sense? So we're going to not die on the hills of preference. We're going to die on the plains of potential. Does that make sense? That, That we will look at people and before we condemn somebody or fix somebody, we'll see them for who they are in Christ or the potential of who they are in Christ before we tell them what's wrong with them. So if somebody walks in this door and they'll look like you, you should go to them pursuing good. You should walk up to them for doing good. How can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I pray with you? Like, that's what makes the church different. There's plenty of people, I promise you, even the most boisterous among those outside of our walls. They are searching. They are searching. They're searching for acceptance. They're searching for love. And the only place that truly offers that on an unconditional basis is at the foot of the cross in Jesus. And the, the reason we're here to be salt and light is because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you have no business keeping that to yourself. You, you don't actually know Christ if you're keeping it to yourself. Okay, because 
Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And see, if you read that, and that sounds like, ugh, okay, you haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We can't keep it to ourselves. We're going to die on the plains of potential because people are made in his image. Trust the process and do what God gives us to do, not what we feel like we want to do. Huge difference. Because the Bible says, I try to say it every week, I try to work it in every week. Your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? So we can't trust our heart. We can't trust our feelings. We can't trust our senses. We can trust the process. What's the process? To love people before you fix people. That's the process. That's the process God lays out. But here's number two. We have to fix our thinking, not our circumstances. See, and this is the one where this is the one where I landed in thinking about Irma. Okay? Uh, Irma helped me realize point number one in scripture. But here's number two, and here's where I struggled with um, why God answered this prayer, but not Houston's prayer, or not the Caribbean's prayer. Um, and and here's, here's my big theological answer for you. I don't know. I don't know, but I can tell you what the Bible says about your circumstances. So let, let's look at it. Look back at verse 18. Here's what it says. Give thanks in everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Again, what I find so easy to do and what I hear in people is the desire to change a circumstance, to ask God to remove a circumstance, when in reality that circumstance was something God gave you or put in your life to change you. And so what happens is a lot of times we, we pray for God to remove a circumstance when God put it there in the first place because we needed to learn something. And uh, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're right now, you're walking through something that you know God's using to shape you and mold you. I am. I'm walking through something right now that I know God's using to shape the way that I think. And the easy thing to do is to just pray and say, God, can you just remove this from me? Even the Apostle Paul, he said, I have this thorn in my flesh, God. Three times I pleaded with God. Okay, and when Paul takes time out of a letter that he's writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to point out that there are, there are three specific moments where he, the, the language is begged God to take it away. And God said, no. God said, no. Listen, you've been in that. I've been in that. God just says, no. You're, we're going to fix your thinking before we fix your circumstances. Going to fix your thinking. And so we're seeing here that we can give thanks in every circumstances we find ourselves in because it's God's will. So trying to pray away something that is God's will is not going to work. And so I don't know why your house was spared and every single house in Barbuda was not. But I do know that we can trust the process. And I do know that we have to love those people before we fix those people. You see that you see the tie in there that, that if I begin to see my circumstances, OK, well, God spared me and spared my resources. So now I have to go out and love people with my resources. 
So uh, we had Captain Andy in here. What, what is our role? Well, our role is to serve our neighbor. Our role is to love our neighbor as ourselves. But we love ourselves, all right? We love we love me some me. And uh, but what we have to do as we love me some me is go out and love me some them. So as God opens opportunities for you to love people and share your resources, you need to be eyes up on the harvest, looking for opportunities to be Christ, to be the hands and feet. Of Jesus, According to Paul, when we know it's God's will, we can know that it's a good God at work. And he's doing good things even if I can't see it. That's Romans 8.28. He's working things together for good to those that love him. It says nothing about understanding it. In fact, we read a psalm this morning before church started, a few of us that gathered to pray, that says the exact opposite. It says that God's greatness is unsearchable. God's greatness is unsearchable. And rather than that bring fear into your life, that should bring confidence into your life. That because I can't wrap my mind around it, I'm really thankful that there's a God who can. And so we trust the process. Trust the process. And then finally, how do we get there? How do we get to that? Because that's hard, right? That's really hard. How in the world... Am I going to love people and never try to fix people? That's not natural for me. I'm sure that's not natural for you. Some of you are more spiritual than I am, and it might be natural for you. But I know a lot of you really well, and I know it's not natural for all of you. How do we do that? How do we, how do we get to the point where we're praying constantly? Number three, we have to quench our thirst with the Spirit Look how Paul brings this down. Look at verse um, 19. He says, don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. So, so what this text is showing you is that you have a thirst. What we learn from Jesus with the woman at the well is that you have a thirst. That every human being has a thirst. And every one of us is drinking some kind of water. We're, we are satisfying, we are quenching that thirst with something. But what Paul is admonishing those Christians to do, and what he's admonishing you and I to do, is to satisfy our thirst with the Spirit, not stifle the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. See, because if you have the opportunity to quench your thirst with the Holy Spirit and you choose to quench it with something else, you're stifling the Spirit. That's what it means to stifle the Spirit, to take what God ought to satisfy in you and satisfy it with something else. Other scriptures would call it idolatry. Okay? To stifle the Spirit um, is, is the reason we can't do those other three things. I can't rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in every circumstance I have if my trust is somewhere else. 
if I'm trusting in my bank account, if I'm trusting in my abilities, if I'm trusting in my organizational aptitude or whatever, whatever it is for you, and being able to put a plan together and save yourself and save your family and save everything, if that's what you trust in, you're going to stifle the spirit. And so here's where Paul got, okay? Here's where Paul got. Paul got to the point where he said, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. How do you pray a prayer like that? Because what Paul realized is that he's not the center of the story. You and I have to realize that we are not the center of the story. And if you can realize that you're not the center of the story, you can can thank God in every circumstance. You can get to the point where you thank God in every circumstances. God never, anybody know that God never promised easy. He never promised easy, but he did promise peace in John 14, 27. He promised peace. He promised peace here. He said, how are you going to do that? May the God of what? In verse 23. Now may the God of Oh, you're going to have to do better than that. May the God of peace sanctify you completely, through and through, some translations say. That's an interesting way to say that. The God of peace. Why would you need the God of peace to sanctify you? Because you and I got problems. (laughs) You and I have problems. We have a trust problem. We worry about our circumstances. And we look to quench that thirst in a whole lot of ways. And so what I want to call you back to today is to trust the process. What was the process? To love people. To love people. To change your thinking and to quench your thirst with the Spirit of God. And you could go backwards in those because that's the way the process works. If you will quench your thirst with the Spirit of God, you will see your circumstances the way you ought to see them. And then you will be able to love people the way that you ought to love people. Does that make sense? Come on, why don't you stand to your feet. Let's pray together and then we're going to sing one song.